1: I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernial a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and the uh, head of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Boy, have we got a great guest coming up. First of all, good to see you. Hi.
2: Nice to see you, and I'm excited about talking to James Keach.
1: A whole lot of our listeners, I'm sure, have heard of his latest film, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. It was out in 2014. It's now going to be available widely on DVD and pay-per-view an uh, incredible look at Glenn Campbell struggling with Alzheimer's goes on tour and remembers the music.
2: Well and if you even if you just like Glenn Campbell and his music, even you, you know, the Alzheimer's part may be tough for you. Um James I think is gonna talk about that how it's you know it's really an upbeat film, but the music alone, just listening to Glenn Campbell, that voice, I, I'm a huge fan. If you look in my phone, you will find Glenn Campbell music, and I have some CDs, old CDs, you know, the old school stuff.
1: The real stuff. The
2: real stuff in my car.
1: Well, he was a lineman for the county.
2: Absolutely. Man
1: could sing. You have some upbeat news for us as well, Carol Zerial, and it is how you can add seven years to your life.
2: Well, you know, if I came up and asked you, would you like me to help you add 7 years to your life? What would you say? Yes. And if I said the only thing that you have to do is start walking a little bit, 25 minutes a day for 3 days a week?
1: I can do that. You
2: can do it. Anybody can do that. So that's the latest research. Yes, we keep talking about this. Um it is that inactive life style that is the big danger for caregivers and for the people that they're caring for. Um, you know, the best thing that you can do for someone, its we, we've talked to people in treating diabetes and other surgeries, and they're talking about exercise and circulation. We've talked about it with heart disease. We've talked about it with Alzheimer's. And this latest study from Saarland University um, looked at walking and activity as a way to slow the process of aging. So that's how you get this. Yes, that's a plus. So activity actually helps repair DNA, and it's the breakdown of DNA that causes the the aging process, our cells, when they multiply, they're not as pretty as they were when they were younger. They, there's little degradations, little breakdowns, uh, and that's why we, we're not quite as beautiful as we were when we were younger. And they said, to put it simply, taking up exercise was shown to help slow down the inevitable aging process. Exercise buys you three to seven additional years. So it's an antidepressant. You know, if you, you know, suffer at all from any kind of depression, um, it may help reduce the onset of dementia, which would be important for Glenn Campbell's family. Um, And just 25 minutes a day, three days a week, get seven years back on your life.
1: I walked 25 minutes in the pool the other day.
2: Which is even harder than walking on land. Well, when you have
1: bum knees, it's really pretty easy compared to... Dry land.
2: Well, you know, but you've got that resistance, which actually is right. better than walking I like that. Is better than walking in the air, and yet it feels easier somehow in the water. It's deceptive. It is deceptive.
1: 25 minutes a day, only three days a week. That's right. Well, I like the one minute you could do every once in a while. You want
2: the, well, we can talk about one minute some other day, but you get seven years back for just that little bit of walking.
1: I'm in. And while we're talking about stuff you can do, you've got a list of... Of Social Security myths.
2: I do. Must be a ton of them. You know, it's coming up with this whole election cycle. So you're going to hear all kinds of weird things about Social Security. You are. It it, it inevitably happens. And there's a lot of misconceptions about Social Security. Number one is that it's only for old people, which is not true. People with disabilities, um, old people. And survivors, it is the original survivor benefit. So your children are protected. If something happens to you and you have children, if they're in high school, they can be nineteen years of age and younger, they get and death they benefits. will get death benefits. Um, and so we have life insurance, and we don't even think about it. It's a huge plus. Um, young people will never get their social security. They're paying in for it, it's just for nothing.
1: They're paying for grandpa paying
2: for nothing. Yeah, they're never going to see it. absolutely not true. Everyone knows how to fix Social Security. We know how to adjust Social Security. We have done it before. Medicare is tougher, but Social Security, yes, your benefits are going to be there. Are they going to be, you know, if you live to be 120, are you going to get every dime back? Maybe not, but if you're not around, you don't need that money anyway. So Social Security, it's a good thing. Um, With the
1: election coming, people need to put a filter on because it becomes a political issue that gets— Uh, in the business of spreading myths.
2: Well, and let's talk about families and Social Security. We've already talked about the um, survivor benefit, but some people think that if you're a stay-at-home parent, you're not going to see a dime of Social Security. That's not true. If your spouse is working, when you retire and they're collecting Social Security, you're going to be entitled to half. Of their Social Security. You're going to get Social Security even if you've never paid into it because you stayed home and you raised those kids. You still get Social Security if your spouse pays in.
1: Even if you're divorced and were married 10 years or more. That's
2: right. That was my next thing, divorced spouses. And it doesn't reduce, you know, your ex's benefits at all. But if you've been married for 10 years and you don't remarry, you're entitled to some Social Security benefits. Um, your Social Security benefits are based on your top 35 highest earning years. So, if you only work part time, if you're a caregiver and you've dropped out a little bit, you know it's still going to be on those top earning years. They're not going to count the low earning years. It's kind of like in school where they used to, you know, take out the those low grades and only average the high grades. So that works in your in your benefit as well. Um, so, Social Security is one of the most successful programs ever in the United States. It has re- created a floor of security for most Americans, even more so now than when it was created, because so many of us think that Social Security is our supposed to be our only form of retirement. Uh, but just to have confidence in Social Security. Uh, when you're listening to all of that, it is going to be there regardless of what the pundits and the candidates say.
1: Good information. By the way, we'll be talking with James Keach in just a couple of moments, a man who has done an incredible number of films, acting roles, production roles. His new film, Glenn Campbell, uh, I Want to Be Me, is just a powerful look at a man uh, who just lives with Alzheimer's, travels the country, still performed. And it is a great film. James Keach will join us in just a couple of moments. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer, Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernial. And for those of us who do drink some coffee, you've got a coffee bonus.
2: Well, the coffee bonus is, and hopefully no one out there has colon cancer, but (laughs) there was a new study, and this was my big surprise of the day. It was in the New York Times, that colon cancer patients who were heavy coffee drinkers had a far lower risk of dying or having their cancer return than those who didn't drink coffee. Have you ever heard of this? No. So there is some research that shows that cancer is ben- uh, cancer that coffee is beneficial in uh, preventing or reducing some of the impact of diabetes. Diabetics are a higher risk for colon cancer, so all of this may be related. Um, but mm. there there was a big study of people that were coffee drinkers, 953 patients with stage 3 colon cancer, which is Eat, not good. Which is not good. Those who drank four or more cups of coffee a day had a 52% uh, less likely to die of cancer or have a recurrence. Wow. Those that drank two cups, it was 31% less.
1: Still got benefit.
2: Still got benefits, which are only two cups. So the key is, I'm a decaf coffee drinker. It's got to be caffeinated ah. coffee. And it can't be one of those coffee-like drinks that's mostly milk and sugar and a little bit of coffee flavor in it that you can buy in the grocery store. Got to be the real cup of joe. Uh, regular coffee with caffeine. It's got antioxidants, so we can add it to the list of cherries and blueberries. And coffee, this is not such a bad thing. The only thing I disagreed with in the article, they were saying, well... The, you know, we're not sure exactly how the coffee works. It may have something to do with personality. People who drink coffee are high stress, high achievers, high performing. I'm like, no, I don't think that's true anymore. I think there's a lot of students who are pretty laid back, chilling and still drinking mega cups. Just of coffee. look at the line
1: at Starbucks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think the coffee drinker has changed and coffee mm, may be good for you.
1: So give it a try you got nothing to lose except the colon cancer.
2: Well, if you drink at Starbucks, you know, you're going to lose a little bit of weight in your wallet. Yeah,
1: and, <laughs> right, and some money, exactly. All right, here you are. People having surgery all the time. The older you get, uh, the more surgeries you may have. How do you recover better from surgery?
2: Well, you recover better by listening to Glenn Campbell music <laughs> or any kind of music. So another study, New York Times, Um, looked at surgical patients who listen to music even when they're under the anesthesia. So they looked at music before surgery, during surgery, and after surgery. And what they found, they looked at 72 different trials. So this is 72 trials of multiple, multiple people. And they found that music was associated with a 20% reduction in pain, post-operative pain, so after the surgery, and a 10% reduction in anxiety, and a significant reduction in the use of pain medication. And the biggest, the place where you want the music is right before you have the surgery. So people that listen to surgery, listen to music before surgery, less pain medication, less anxiety, you know, faster recovery, doesn't necessarily translate to less hospital stays. There's not a huge difference between music during surgery and afterwards, but they did say the highest results came with music before. So if you like music, if you like a little Glenn Campbell, a little you know, opera, whatever it is. Wear the earbuds. You know, I just had, I will tell you, I just had dental surgery. I know I, that's not exactly major surgery. It felt major. Uh, but I just well, had. It knocked
1: you out for a couple of days.
2: Well, it, it was actually much worse than I thought it was going to be. But I didn't know that at the time, right? So I just told the, the surgeon, I said, I'm going to put on my earbuds. I'm going to turn up the volume. I'm not going to pay any attention to what you guys are doing because I don't want to know. Uh, and just listen to the music, you know, everything was fine. Holy smokes, after it was over, that was much worse than I thought it was going to be. But music got me through the surgery, wow. and that's kind you know, it was very unpleasant. When you say bone graft, let me just tell you, kind of unpleasant.
1: Yes. Yeah,
2: a little Ooh. painful, a little painful afterwards. So I'm glad I had the music before and during, because who knows what it would have been like after.
1: Well, your chipmunk chipmunk cheeks are gone now
2: yes they are I do I have a face again yeah, it, it you was do. that round glowy face <laughs>
1: exactly of
2: inflammation wow
1: <laughs> so but you, and you feel better.
2: Oh, much better! And my surgeon did a great job, but I think it was okay. the music. It was the music I that got it, me through. I think it probably was.
1: Now, as you take a look at uh, the teleconnection, which is a great way for folks who are caregivers to get involved, what do you have coming
0: up?
2: Well, September we have a great list of sessions. We've got one in Spanish on September the eighth. And that's going to be with uh, Mary Teresa Vasquez. Uh, We've got three in English. So we're going to be talking about how to get your siblings involved. We've got one on aging and disability resource centers, which are all over the United States. And you're going to learn how they can help connect you with information and services. And one on relocation planning, moving your loved one from home into a facility. A lot of people do need to live in a facility. And all of us need a little bit of help getting that transition, making that move work for our loved one and work for us. So those are the September teleconnection sessions.
1: Just go to teleconnection.org and you can get all the information you want. Caregiver, teleconnection.org. Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. We talk in just a moment to James Keach about Glenn Glenn Campbell, I Want to Be Me. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eickhoff, that's not by accident.
3: No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home.
1: And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time My WellMed physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients.
3: Yeah, I I really do try to, and and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases.
1: That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well.
3: We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want
1: information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210 614 Well. Well, we're so pleased you're sticking with us. As we suggested at the beginning of the program, we have a very special guest joining us today, James Keach, who directed Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me, a very powerful look at Glenn Campbell in the last uh, year or so of his life as he and his family struggled. Uh, with the impact of Alzheimer's. Uh, James Keach is an actor. Uh, I'm sure you know the name. His brother, also an actor. His father had been an actor as well. Keach went to Northwestern University, earned a master's in fine arts, Yale School of Drama, and classically trained in Shakespearean as a Shakespearean actor. And as I kidded him when we talked briefly off the air, and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air, James. So what went wrong with your life? Shakespearean trained
2: actor.
0: Uh, life uh, life got in the way of my plans, and people didn't understand iambic pentameter.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about
2: that. <laughs> you just say the word, and people's eyes gloss exactly. over. Yeah, I'm an English
1: exactly. major who couldn't find work. Right?
0: Uh, actually, nothing nothing, nothing <laughs> went wrong. Everything has gone uh, pretty well, considering. You what know?
1: well, well, talk to us about uh, first of all how this project uh, came together? Uh, I think all of our listeners. On Caregiver SOS on air are aware of uh, the basics of uh, Glenn Campbell, diagnosed with Alzheimer's, still uh, goes on tour. Uh, once he's on stage, for the most part, he, he remembers the songs, the lyrics, the music, uh, which is pretty typical of uh, uh, Alzheimer's patients early on. How did you get involved?
0: Well, uh, my partner, Trevor Albert, and I have a production company, and uh, uh, along with James E. Moran, and... Uh, I made a few years before. I made a movie called Walk the Line. I've been i produced it and developed it with uh, uh, Jim Mangold and Kathy Conrad. And, and so
2: I got a few Oscars out of that one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Julian Raymond, uh, who had produced Glenn's last two albums, came to was actually he and continues to produce my son Johnny, who's now 19, and in Nashville with Julian, produced Glenn's last two albums and was uh, working with Johnny and, and his band at the time, um, developing them, and, and he, he would come over to the editing room and he'd say, man, you got to do something about Glenn, you know, like you did with Johnny Cash, and, and we said, well, we kind of did the biopic. I'm not sure that's something we want to work on. No, no, it's a little different with Glenn. Glenn's got Alzheimer's. He's, he's going to announce he's got Alzheimer's and do a tour, so maybe you guys could just do, you know, four or five weeks, of the tour because that's all he's booked for, and we don't think he's going to last very long. And you know, we're going to do this in a few months. I said, "Well, let's talk about it." And this went on for several months. And finally, he said, "We're getting ready to do it. Please do it." And I said, "Geez, I'm not sure. This is, I'm not sure this has got a lot of entertainment value." And he said, "Well, just meet Glenn. Okay, come on, James. Just meet him." And so we did, and uh, and uh, just fell in love with Glenn and his and Kim. And Glenn walked in the room, and there was my son Johnny walking across the living room with his guitar. And, and Glenn goes, hey, I play guitar. You want me to show you something? And uh, he gives, Johnny gives him his guitar and says, yes, sir, sure. And Glenn just kills it, just shreds it, hands him back his guitar. Johnny goes into his bedroom like all teenagers do. And uh, uh, Glenn looks at Kim and says, you know, when a man finds a good woman, he finds a good thing. I found me a good thing. She's my thing. And Kim says, hey, Glenn. We're here to talk to James and, and these guys about making a movie about your Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's? What's that? I don't got no Alzheimer's. I got part-timers. <laughs> and, and, so, and then Johnny comes walking back across the living room, and Glenn turns over and says, Hey, I play guitar. You want me to show you something? <laughs> so right there, we got to see the whole thing. You know, the, We got to see the repetition. We got to see the Alzheimer's in its beginning stages. We got to see this joyous, incredible uh, musician. You know, he was self-deprecating with a wonderful sense of humor and a guy who's totally in love with his wife and he was irresistible. So we said, okay, we'll do it for five weeks. Well, five weeks turned into two and a half years and 2,000 hours of film. So, <laughs> <Wow. laughs>
4: 2,000 hours of wow. film? Yeah.
1: How do you edit that down? Huh? You, you could have made a 20-week series.
4: Well,
0: we could have, but, uh, you know, we, we we edited a lot of it, you know, was, was multiple cameras shooting shows. He did 151 shows in that period of time. Wow! wow. And uh, you know, and you know, imagine a man with Alzheimer's getting nominated for an Academy Award, which is what happened. So, um, yeah.
2: so, so how did he, so how did he do? You know, on a normal evening, he's on stage, he's singing his music. Um, how often did he stumble? I mean, did was he pretty? Pretty on task the whole time, or, or, did, they he str- have to prop or did he? Visi- him up. Yeah, did he visibly struggle? I just done an ordinary night. Maybe, maybe not on the film.
0: Well, you know, each night's a different night.
2: Absolutely.
0: So, um, some nights were better than others, but for the most part, he was pretty good um, in, in the in the first year um, because he was more comfortable on the stage than he was anywhere else. You know, he couldn't find his way on or off the stage, but once he got there and the guitar in his hand, you know, and he, he knew that world very well. Um, but it was always a, a, a tightrope walk, as Ashley said in the film, you know. You, you never knew what you were going to get, and that's kind of exciting. By the time the kids finished doing the, uh, the tour, I mean, when they started, they were good musicians. By the time they ended, they were great, because Glenn would start at, at, in one key and end in another. And they would have to go with it, and uh, you know, so, you know that's that's kind of tough to, to do that. And you, and you never and you never know what would ha- You never knew what would happen. So, um, it, it was it was it was quite a journey. And, well,
2: it, and for, for people that you know are may have seen the film, but maybe new to the some of the science behind Alzheimer's. There's wonderful uh, research now. They have the ability to look at the brain and what lights up. You know, when somebody has Alzheimer's, what centers of the brain are still working? And the most wonderful thing is music is absolutely one of the last things to go. Um, you know, you lose in Alzheimer's. The executive function is first, um, you know, our, our ability to make good judgments. Uh, that Everybody knows the memory piece. But the music piece uh, and the ability to cuss. <laughs> <laughs> are the two things that are located in the center that really hang on the very longest? Yeah.
0: Well, that's 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 for sure. It, music is compartmentalized in a, in, a, in a different part of the brain than, than um, where the amyloid plaque attaches itself uh, um, when first Alzheimer's first begins or mild cognitive impairment
2: start but. so was the audience did did all of the audiences knew ahead of time when they went to see Glenn Campbell that he had Alzheimer's and that they he was did, performing or, anyway you know,
0: they didn't they learned it but the thing is the audience behaved in a way that that actually people should behave more uh, like these folks because instead of Glenn and his most vulnerable instead of worrying about it or getting uptight about it or being critical they lifted him up he must have had 10 15 standing ovations every show and and it was inspirational I mean I mean he, and, but he was also you know he's still Glenn Campbell so when he when he hits a solo and he hits it right it's 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 unbelievable and he can sing like a bird you know he, yeah. he never went off key never and he never warmed up he, the guy was he's just so gifted as a singer and uh, and and you know, I mean, the guys that like Springsteen or Paul McCartney, the, the people that talk about him in the film, they they revere this guy's talent because, you know, it's immense. I mean, the guy's a genius. You know, at what he did, but he's still a country boy. You know, it's it's kind of paradoxical. You know, you, where does this all? You know, you you think he's a, and he was very similar in some ways to John Cash, who I was really close to, and, and you know, both Arkansas farm boys that raised out of the literally came out of the dirt. You know, cotton farmers. You know, and um, part of the, the big floods and, and uh, in Arkansas and, and music was their way to you know communicate. There was they didn't have TVs. They had a little bit of radio and and they learned gospel and they were both very faith oriented and and um, you know and they were very family oriented and they took care of their families and and in the end their families took care of them.
1: If you just joined us, you're listening to James Keach. Who produced an incredible film documenting the last several months and years of Glenn Campbell's tour? Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. And if you recognize the voice, it's because uh, uh, Mr. Keach has been in a whole lot of films, also been on the producing side. And uh, uh, some of the work that you produced, uh, I used to watch religiously, like Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, which Uh starred your ex wife. Yeah. What was that like, directing your ex wife?
0: It was great. Jane, Jane was great, and we still work together.
1: It was a great series. Yeah. And the film itself was
2: wonderful. Yeah. I know. I was actually in, uh, visiting someone in the hospital recently, and the, <laughs> there was. the show the show was on, and I'm pretty glued. It's like, oh, I can go now? No, I'm right in the middle of an episode. <laughs> oh,
1: that's, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> that's funny.
0: It was a good show.
1: Well, well talk to us about, uh, and a lot of what uh, you've said and I've seen in other interviews with uh, Glenn Campbell and his family, uh, it's not as much that he was in denial, but uh, he, he didn't really acknowledge that he had Alzheimer's. And by the time you reached the end of that string, you thought it would go five weeks, and it went what two years? Uh, did he come to the realization that he did indeed have Alzheimer's?
0: Oh, he knew he had Alzheimer's right from the beginning. So no, the, he he wanted to make a movie about his Alzheimer's. He asked to do it. No, no, he he would kid about it. He'd say he'd call it part timers because I can't I can't remember everything, but. You know, uh, he he was not in denial at all. Yeah. Neither was his family. In fact, that's why they wanted to make the film, and they wanted to to get down to the you know um, to the truth of what it was. And and he wasn't afraid of it. And he knew at the end, he he he, he knew where it was going to
2: go. Well, you know, but, I think... but
0: he didn't want to dwell on it. You know, it's like he says in the movie. He said, when you know, given the diagnosis, he said, "I ain't done yet." You know, they're giving me a Lifetime Achievement Award. He said, well, that's great, but I'm not done. All <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's one of the things that's so inspirational about Glenn, and, and I think that we all have to embrace, is that, you know, we're going to all get some sort of diagnosis of something that's we're going to, you know, life is impermanent. That's just the way it is. And we've got to press on, as June Carter would say. Garland, you got
1: to press on. Stick with us just a minute. Speaking of pressing on, we're going to uh, break for news. You're going to disappear into the Maxwell Smart Cone of Silence, and we'll come right back to you, James Keach. We're talking about Glenn Campbell and his battle with Alzheimer's, the... Documentary, Glenn Campbell, "Out Be Me, uh, has been on CNN and elsewhere. And with us is a gentleman who put it all together, James Keach, brother of Stacy Keach, and a man who has had incredible experience both on, in front of the camera, and behind the camera, and producing as well. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we are so pleased to have you with us. Uh, as you went through the time it took to produce uh, this film... Uh, you got to spend an incredible amount of time around uh Glenn Campbell. What was that like?
0: well, he's a very warm loving guy and 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 uh his family is is remarkable so you know kim uh, the woman you see in the film is is who she is i mean she's as loving a uh, human being as there can be and and his kids they're they just have a really tight family and and the folks that are that were on the tour had been with him for, you know, 30 years, so the, the family, the, the whole extended family of Glenn, you know, was remarkable, and they really took care of him, and they, they were very cognitive of what was going on and, and with him, and, and uh, they were very patient all the time. I think that was one of the things that was, was very striking, and, you know, Kim would not get angry with him, he would constantly repeat things or get frustrated with things, and and so I mean, can if those who, the movie actually is coming out today in DVD and video on demand, I believe.
2: Yes, I've, I'm I ordered it and then I realized it's on, you know, yeah, it's coming so, out. And, it's on and the and truck. It's on the truck, and I I'm gonna get a chance to look oh, at it good. again whenever it arrives.
0: Oh, good. Well, you know what you'll get from it is is you know, it's about a man with Alzheimer's. But it's it's the movie's not about Alzheimer's. It's about the family. It's about caregiving. It's about love. I call it Rocky with a guitar. There's more big laughs in this movie than there are in most big comedies, because Glenn is so funny, and he's always loved jokes. And he you know he he and Roger Miller would compete for the best jokes all the time, and he stole most of Rogers, I think. Um, but uh, you know, so the family was very upbeat, and and so. And so is the film, and well, and, the, and that that makes it palatable. That makes it a kind of film that you can watch and, and embrace, and watch it with people with Alzheimer's, and watch it with other caregivers, and they feel seen, and they don't they don't. I mean, Glenn's dignity is completely kept intact, and yet at the same time, the the gnarly truth is is shown. You get to see it up close and personal, and uh, and Glenn wanted that, and when you see the film, you'll see at the end. Um, When I asked him, finally, how was the Alzheimer's? He said, oh, it was great. You know, wasn't it, darling?
2: (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, just to show how well you succeeded, um, I have to say that my father watched the film when it was on CNN, and he's the caregiver for my mother who has pretty severe Alzheimer's. Um, And I thought it was going to be too tough for him. I was so surprised that he decided to watch it. And he was not only did he watch it, he was smiling. He was upbeat. He called to tell me, Oh, this is a great film. You know, he loves Glenn Campbell in the first place. Um, but it, it didn't take him down. It wasn't too much for him, uh, which I think says a lot about the way that you produce the film.
0: Oh, thanks. I did it with a, uh, with a lot of good people Trevor, my partner, and Lisa, the editor. And, I, you know, I can't, t- I, I, I would love to say I did everything. But that isn't the way films are made, and you know you do it with a team of people, and and obviously the the, the family and the and the folks that uh, you do it with um, are really important. But that's that's Glenn and that's them. You know they're very upbeat. But the thing is, we wanted to show a film that shows the that, that life, life isn't over when you when you get diagnosed with this, and and caregiving is about love and it's about community and. And uh, uh,
2: so well, and uh, it, it's so important to have these voices because this is really new. Um, people with Alzheimer's talking about having Alzheimer's being advocates on their own behalf and for others like them. Uh, you know, I keep I was at a conference recently, and they were talking about the stigma of Alzheimer's, which really kind of t- took me back, you know, a little bit because i don't I don't associate, I don't think about, Um, oh, this is something bad, this is a person, uh, but probably because I'm a gerontologist, to me, somebody, it's the way it is, they just have Alzheimer's. But a lot of families are very embarrassed. Um, They are uh, It's hard to be in public with someone who's acting a little unusual sometimes. A little different. Uh, And for somebody to get up there and say, I have Alzheimer's, my life is going on, you know, and to demonstrate that their talent is still in there, that all of that good... Uh, you know what they brought to us in forms of entertainment, but anybody that uh, has Alzheimer's, they're they're still in there, uh, and they can go on living as fully as they can, as long as they can. That's a new message that we haven't heard in the past.
0: Yeah, well, it's a very important message, and you know, as you know, there was no shame in Glenn's game, you know, and that's it's really important. You know, I mean, when people get diagnosed with heart disease or cancer or ALS or I I mean, people were shocked when I first said to Glenn. So, how's the Alzheimer's? I said it in front of all his musicians' friends, and it was like, I'd said the wrong thing. I said, "Folks, the guy's got Alzheimer's. I'm I'm not gonna make him feel bad about it. He's, that's what he's got." And they and Glenn goes, "I don't know." I said, "What'd you what you forget today, Glenn?" And he goes, "I don't know. You tell me." And he starts laughing, and I start telling him, and he said, "Oh, I did." And then he said, "Oh yeah, now I remember." he started laughing about the stuff that he'd forgotten and everybody else started laughing about it. And Glenn, you know, and, and all of a sudden the conversation was, it was okay to talk about the elephant in the room. And, you know, anybody who's sick and has, you know, we're, like I said, we're going to all, something is going to befo- be said, all of us, but you know what? That doesn't mean that, you know, we, we can't celebrate every day we have. We should. And part of celebrating it is being honest and truthful and in the moment and, and not, not being silent and, and secretive and, 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 and hiding in our, in our despair.
1: So, James Keach, take us back to when you really didn't want to do this film. You figured maybe <laughs> it would last five months. <laughs> and, and there's of, no if, entertainment if value. <laughs> so, there's no entertainment value. Exactly. Uh, all right, I'll meet with him. I don't really want to. Uh, when did the light go on? And you said, "Man, we got to do The light do this. went on when,
0: when I saw what a great human being Glenn was, and that he, in fact, was was inspiring me not to not to feel bad and not to, you know, to to you know, want to hide from this pain that he was inevitably going to go through, and his, inevitably his family was going to go through. In fact, he said, "Welcome it. Let's take the ride. Let's take the ride together."
2: Nice. Well, talk a little bit about Kim, because she does come across as such a loving, caring person in all of the interviews. Um, You know, does she have down days? Is this,
0: was that hard over the period of two
2: years behind the scenes?
0: Well, I can tell you, Kim would be the first person to say that she wakes up in the morning, she's depressed, and she goes to bed, she's sad. But she prays, and, and she asks for help, and she does the best she can with what she's got, and and tries to, to look at it as an opportunity to you know to be loving and and but it's hard you know and uh, um, if she wasn't if she didn't have such deep faith that you know there's purpose to what she's doing and that that uh, you know it'd be really hard for her but and it has been hard for her but you know um, that's what she that's what gets her through.
1: They uh, have other help.
0: She does have help. Um, um, Several, yeah, uh, several people have lived in the house. That ne- nephew and and Ashley, daughter, moved home to help take care of dad. And and then Glenn, for a while, was in a a, a home, uh, not a home, but a, you know, a memory care facility. And and then now he came back home, you know, to just him wants him closer. You know, it's it's very you know, it was at one point it was. Danger, more dangerous for Glenn. He was more active and more agitated at times. And, right. And and then he become less agitated, so she was able to bring him back into the house. And, you know, it's it's a rough ride, but, you know, the, 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 she's, the whole family is so supportive and, and loving. You
2: know. Well, I think if you look at the film as an allegory for maybe the way a lot of people, most people with Alzheimer's and their families, because you talked about the band members, not only, you know, supporting him, uh, being patient with him, picking up that key when it changed, uh, and, and and having the band supporting him helps Kim and the family because it's not just the family. It's an extended family. It's a group of people. Um, and still treating Glenn with the respect that he earned and he still deserves. And a lot of times that maybe doesn't happen when people get Alzheimer's. So it's a wonderful example to see.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, uh, I really hope that um, obviously they, they find a cure or they can slow this thing down, but I, I really believe that, that whoever runs for whoever you're going to vote for out there, ladies and gentlemen, for president, you better ask them the question, what are you guys going to do to support finding a cure for this thing? Because one out of two people who hit the age of 85 are going to get it, okay?
2: Which is a very scary number.
0: It's a huge number.
2: Yeah, it's forty. Yeah, yeah it's so, goes from forty percent to fifty percent, and not ages.
0: ISIS. We should. I mean, ISIS is is obviously a, a horrible, horrible thing, and and uh, but
1: now we understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I
0: mean, I just think that that you know this is one of those things that people should really pay attention to, and, and not pretend it's going to go away without help from the. The
2: government. So, so it's the movie's over. It's in the can. It's coming out um, here for wide release. How is Glenn doing right now? How has he changed since the film wrapped?
0: Well, Glenn, Glenn's not. He's not able to play music anymore very much. You know, he's not. He's not speaking a lot. Of, he'll. Uh, Kim says he'll. He'll uh, go over to the window and say thank you, God, or he'll say I love you. He still recognizes Kim. Um, he still likes to laugh, um, and uh, you know he's still physically he's 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 still healthy, you know.
2: Which is the tough part? It, That's the tough part. it's really tough to have someone who's yeah. physically very healthy yeah. and mentally has lost so much.
1: What did you learn about yourself doing this film?
0: Oh gosh, I, I learned um, that. Uh, the the journey of life is something that you really have to embrace every day. That you got to live in the moment. You know, you never know what's coming when that diagnosis is going to come down, and and you got to really uh, do your best to do your best.
1: You said you did 151 concert dates.
0: The so Glenn did. Yeah, unbelievable. I, 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 was, I was there for about 30, 40 of them. Yeah. Wow.
2: Well, if people want to order the, the movie, they want to see the movie, they want to listen to the soundtrack, where do you suggest that they
0: go? Oh, com or Virgil Films. Or you, you go on Amazon to uh, – it's all over the place. It should be. Just, just, cool. Just Glenn, Cam- Glenn, Glenn Campbell, I'll be me.
1: Do Got about know? 30 seconds. What's next for James Keach?
0: Oh, gosh. I'm I'm working on a whole bunch of different movies. Um, one in particular is about a young man from Texas. Uh, well, hmm. he's not from Texas, but he lived, lived uh, Travis Mills. I don't know if you know who he is. No. He's a young guy in the service who is uh, quadriplegic, actually. He lost both his arms and his legs. This book is coming out in October, and my partner, Eric Carlson, and I have are partnered up with him, and I think it's going to be a very, very successful book. He was in the 82nd Airborne, a complete wow. war hero, and, uh, and has taken adversity in his life, losing both his arms and his legs, and turned it into he's the most upbeat, positive guy you'd ever want to meet. He doesn't refer to himself as a wounded warrior. He, he, recalibrated warrior is what he calls himself.
2: Recalibrated. we got to run.
1: We're out of time. We anyway. really, really appreciate you coming on, James Keech. Okay. Congratulations on Thank all you. that you've done. We'll look forward to the next venture.
0: Okay. You Thanks take care.
1: Bye-bye. See James you. Keech with us. And uh, you can get a hold at uh, glencampbell.com, uh, the Glenn Campbell movie. And we encourage you to take a look at it. Up next, Take 10 with Carol Zerniel and Dr. Jamie Heisman right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eickhoff That's not by accident.
3: No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home.
1: And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time My WellMed physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah,
3: I I really do try to, and and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases.
1: That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well.
3: We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures.
1: Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL.
3: 210-614-WELL.
1: We are cruising right along here on Caregiver SOS on Air as we do at the end of every one of our programs. We flip into Take 10, an opportunity for Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known expert on caregiving and addictions, kick around a topic or two aimed at caregivers. And today we kick it off with a topic that Carol has selected that uh, uses a term that may not be familiar to most caregivers, but they know what it means. Caregiver burden.
2: Right. So at professionals, we measure caregiver burden. We talk about caregiver burden. And it really means how does a caregiver, how stressed do they feel? You know, how, how, able are they to cope with the situation that they're in? So why, Jamie? Why is it important for us when we're working with caregivers to understand what their burden is?
4: Well, you know, Carol, to me, caregiver burden has always been something that that refers to people's emotional response to changes. That that's, that to me has always represented caregiver burden, and those changes are to the demands that that continue to pile on to them, whether they have a chronic, a terminal uh, loved one or or caree that they're taking care of. And and it matters a huge deal of how we as caregivers or how we as people, if you will, respond to change and and to have the flexibility to have feet on the ground to be able to absorb the change, understand the change, and move on without getting bogged down.
2: Well, and what you said was important, because when we do talk about caregiver burden, we're not talking about how many rocks are they lifting or how heavy is the person that they're caring for, not literally. Um, You're absolutely right. We're really talking about their emotional response. How do they feel about their situation? So if you are new to caregiving, you mentioned the word change. Um, what, what's the secret? How do we, all of a sudden, we're faced with being a caregiver. This is, somebody's moved the cheese, it's change. Um, how do we learn to adapt to this change?
4: You know, it's so fascinating that caregiving is the focus of when we realize that we have difficult times in changing. I mean, all of a sudden, it's like a two-by-four that hits us, um, when really these are life Issues. These are life issues or how anybody responds to change. Um, with caregiver burden, it actually goes you know, far beyond the, the emotions and psychologically what we're feeling because it also extends to, to the financial, to the social, to the psychological. Uh, all these things, and, as we provide care, are, are factors in terms of, A, how we are flexible as caregivers, and, B, how the person we're taking care of is actually receiving this.
1: Let me give you an example. We had two guests on uh, one week after the other, two relatively young people both caring for their mothers, Uh, one uh, well-known local personality, a singer, uh, Ken Slavin is his name, was very open about caring for his mom, very upbeat about it, uh, kind of poo-pooed the struggle and the challenge. And then the other was a young woman, Barrett Mason, who'd been a news person here, uh, who in some ways is overwhelmed by uh, the challenges of caring for her mother. Uh, two totally different reactions.
4: You know, um, Ron, that, that makes sense, though, because actually there are, I should say, many more of the latter than probably us psychologists or social workers or healthcare professionals would like to admit, and we wish they were more of the former. Because Mr. Slavin, Slavin. obviously is what we call a more healthy, I, you know, I need to say health, health, healthy caregiver. And I can say that from his responses, because a healthy caregiver is a pretty balanced person that accepts changes, that understands that, you know, they need to, they, they're working with a progressive or chronic illness, and they're able to be flexible. Actually, a healthy caregiver is one who takes care of themselves really first and foremost. And then, The other, which I I never like to really pathologize and call a caregiver, I call more a caretaker because they're more of the world of of codependency where, you know, they are on one leg and they're not necessarily practicing self-care as much as they, they should and they become overwhelmed and become superheroes. I'm not saying that I'm diagnosing somebody who I don't know. But those two schools or those two camps that you mentioned are pretty much what constitutes the caregiver slash caretaker world.
2: Well, and and if we look at the difference, and that may be some of what we want caregivers to look for, um, the caregiver that was having an easier time had a bigger support system, uh, right. really, in terms of, uh, you know, just the other friends, other siblings. siblings, didn't live with the care, the person he was caring for, didn't live with his mom. The other caregiver, it was just her and her mom, and she lives with her mom, so that she really felt much uh, more trapped. She, didn't, she wasn't seeing a way out anytime. soon. There was so, no
1: light at the end of her tunnel.
2: At all. You,
4: Carol, you put your finger right on it. I mean, I think that the caregiver burden, to me, is always made worse by a lot of factors. But the worst thing is, is that the isolation. Uh, when there's not enough people to support, when, when people who are involved are kind of socially isolating. Um, and, and to that extent, because, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, when you have a greater amount of support system, you also actually have a more of a knowledge base to draw from. Uh, you have more perspectives to draw from, more people to give you honest feedback, more ways to, to exercise your interpersonal skills. So um, definitely a larger support network, And also being able to ask for that support network and that help is extraordinarily important.
2: So what we see is a lot of caregivers may think, all right, I've got too much to do. I've got doctor's appointments. I have to care for my mom or my dad or my spouse. I've got all of this stuff. I don't have time for anything else. Um, And so they're just really feeling everything as opposed to, making room for something else in their life, making room for other people to help in their life. And that's kind of a hard concept for for people who don't maybe don't have a large family, don't have a, a social network, you know, normally they didn't have a large social network.
4: And I empathize, and I totally understand that type of a family system. I mean, I don't have I'm come from a holocaust family, so we don't have a lot of family left to support either, but you and I know also that it's important for us to reach out and to tap what's out there. And to the point of that, I don't have enough time, and certainly it feels that way. It's an overwhelming feeling. Um, you know, not only can you and should you connect to, to a support group no matter what and find somebody to help you with your loved one, but there are also 20-minute you know, intervals where you may be able to sit, meditate, take good care of yourself in the process.
2: You know, we do all these, t- we're always talking about the latest research, and we've been talking about one-minute and seven-minute exercise programs. High which, intensity. We, high intensity, which may be a great stress reducer. I'm picturing this burdened caregiver going out in the backyard and just running in place as hard as they can for a minute, really getting their heart rate up, and maybe reducing some of that stress and anxiety. Well,
4: I totally believe that, and I actually I had to do it myself, and most um, therapists do, because as you deal with the dramas and traumas of our of the people who see us, if you don't take one minute or two minutes to unload and sit there and do some breath work or so you know it's what with a little meditation, a guided imagery, if you will, for one or two minutes, I'm doing that now as much as I can, just to catch my breath then you're in deep trouble because you have nowhere to unload it. But that one or two minutes truly does a world of miraculous change. I have Nobody a friend
1: calls. here who works with really troubled kids and families, uh, and and what Brian says he does uh, when he drives home at night, he rolls the window down in his car and, and virtually tosses all the stress out the window as he heads home.
4: That's beautiful because that's a metaphor, and that's literally what we try to do with, with our patients and say, you know, make a list, and we call it a god box, if you will, and then crumple it up and put it in it, and just let it go. And so, um, your friend Ron is, is dead on the right course.
1: Well, he's, uh, I guess, following what he preaches to his clients.
4: Yeah. Well, yeah, and but that's but too few. And I must tell you too, the caregiver burden can be affected also by sometimes when healthcare professionals aren't taking care of themselves too. It's a vicious cycle.
2: Well, so it, you know, what advice would you have for caregivers who? Feel heavy burden, whether it, you know, it, maybe it's, it could be that they're new and it's really not that bad yet, or it could be that they're in the very thick of it 24 7. You know, what three, top three things for a caregiver who feels like they are just drowning. over Drowning. I'm drowning.
4: Well, you said it best. I mean, number one is don't isolate, don't isolate, don't isolate. That you find a group, or you find a buddy, you find somebody or, who can connect with you. I, again, I think women have the market cornered powerfully in terms of developing best friends, and men need to learn that. But that friendship is huge. So that'd be the first one. Another one would be learn as much knowledge about the condition you can. But again, put on top of all this some sort of self-care plan, whether it's a minute, three minutes, 20 minutes, all of it, all of it accrues.
2: And-
1: Dr. Jamie, perfect. Carol?
2: I agree. I was just listening for the third one.
4: That was the third oh, there one. Wasn't, I'll tell you that. Here's another one then. Take, take care of yourself hoping, at the if, top.
2: What's you put yourself at the top,
4: and if you have a strained relationship, put boundaries around it. Ah. Realize it and find a therapist to talk to.
1: Thank you very much. Flat out of time. Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zirniel, I'm Ron Air, and you've been listening to Take 10, part of Caregiver SOS On Air. You hear us Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m., The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air,
0: presented by the Wellmed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net and join your hosts Ron Aaron and Carol Zernial for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The answer.